Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Cariad Lloyd. Griefcast is a place to talk, share and laugh about the peculiar human process of death and grief. Each week I talk to a different person about their experiences of grief and death as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club. Welcome to Griefcast. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Griefsters. I hope you're having an okay week wherever you are listening. It is a tough time to be grieving. It is a tough time just to be in the world. So wherever you are, I hope it has been a decent day. I hope there is chocolate in your life if you're allowed to eat it. As many of you know, that's how I'm surviving the world at the moment. And thank you so much for your amazing comments about this series. We are approaching the end of this series. I'm still staggered that I get to do this. Thank you so much for listening and making it possible for the grief cast to exist. I have a book out. I know I've mentioned it. It's out in January next year. It's called You Are Not Alone. And it would mean a huge deal to me if you pre-ordered because it really helps authors in there. All the pre-orders go count for the first week of sales, basically. So it is an incredible way to support me and the show. If you have done it already, thank you so much. Um, And if you would like to, I would really, really appreciate it. This week, I'm talking to the absolutely brilliant stand-up and writer, Maurice Gohan. She is, yeah, brilliantly hilarious. And she has written a very, very funny memoir called Trouble. Um, She's also very young. And I know sometimes when people write memoirs, they think, oh, what have they done? My God, Maurice has lived. (laughs) Lived with a capital L. Uh, The book is so, so funny. And yeah, like I race through it because you just can't believe (laughs) what she's done and what she's been through. She's incredible. and, And she does write about it in a very funny way as well. Um, just to give a trigger warning, the person we are talking about uh, today is Maurice's dad, who took his own life. So we will be talking about suicide, mental health, addiction, all those sorts of things. So just to prep you if you are ready to listen to this episode. So Maurice, who are we remembering today? Uh, my dad, Tommy. Your dad. And how many years ago did your dad die? It was 2013, which I was thinking last night, I can't believe that's nine years. I thought I'd done yeah. like the maths wrong. 
yeah, nine nine years ago. Um, yeah. It's a weird one where it feels like both like such a long time when I think of everything that's happened since then and also like no time at all, which feels like something you just say as you get older and <laughs> when you're younger, you're like, no, nah, that'll never happen to me. Yeah. But yeah, it's like shit, time is crazy. Oh my God, it's so... It's so hard. And I think, like, when you're in that first bit, you can say, oh, it's four years ago, and people are still like, oh, wow. But when you say nine, people are like, all oh, right, nine years ago. You're like, no, like, it was still, I'm still feeling it, I'm still dealing with it. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. I feel like people, I mean, most people obviously will have gone through grief in their lives. Otherwise, they're like the luckiest person ever. <laughs> um, but it's, it's a weird one where it's like, it's not linear grief. Like, there is, I remember in like the four, or five months after my dad died I was like the happiest I've ever been and I don't think it was like denial or anything but I just remember having this like crazy thirst for life and I was like just so grateful to be alive or something and I was having like a blast like I was going out with my friends all the time I was like sunbathing in the park during the day just like had a really great time I read somewhere, I can't remember where it was, it was like when I was a kid, where death doesn't just take someone, it misses someone else. And I feel like when you're like really close to death like that, when it's taken someone so close to you, you have this like constant reminder of like, oh, I'm not dead, I'm alive. And I had this like, yeah, this blast, like the best summer of my life. And people would say to me, they're like, I kind of sometimes forget that your dad just died. Um, and I would be like, I do too. But it wasn't, it wasn't in a denial way where I couldn't accept it. It was this, like, I just had this crazy awareness of, of how alive I was. But obviously that fades unless you have someone dying to you, dying close to you, <laughs> like every six months, which would be horrible. That does go away because you kind of just forget that death is really there. Um, yeah. yeah, and like there'll be times like, you know, five years in where like it will just hit me one day where I'll, like, I'll see someone who looks like him and I would like call out for him and I'm like, oh shit, he's dead. And that would like just floor me that day. Yeah. Like leaf, grief is such a like ebbing and flowing or something. Yeah, we, we talk what you're saying about the sort of happiness. We've talked about that a lot in the show. I describe it as like the fire because you get this like thing inside you, which is like, I'm not dead. Exactly as you said. So like I have to live. And I think especially my dad had cancer. So there was like a lot of illness and hospitals. And when you're out of that, you're like, <gasps> like, it's like you've come up for water, you know, from the water. You're like, I can breathe, I can breathe. And there yeah. is a part of you that's just filled with this, like, like you said, like <laughs> zest for life sounds wrong. <laughs> but it is like, it's kind of like, yeah, I'm going to eat and live because I've seen what it looks like. It looks awful. But that you can't keep that up, that energy of like, yeah, life is for living because it's like the day to day of monotony and domesticity and all like you know your admin just eventually drags you back down to normal but it's a weird it's a weird side effect of grief that I think um until you've been through it you wouldn't believe it you're like no no I'll just be sad for like a year you're like no you'll be weirdly happy and fine and then not sad and then sad like yeah it's hard to describe to someone um do you mind me asking or I mean I know having read your amazing amazing book uh trouble a memoir which does talk about what happened but obviously lots of other things as well but would you mind telling us how Tommy died what happened yeah so he um killed himself um I read somewhere recently that you're not supposed to say committing suicide anymore because yeah imp- they take took their own life rather yeah than they uh, committed a crime yeah yeah which like seems a bit over the top but <laughs> uh it's like it's just words um but yeah he he that's how he died um 
and it, it's a weird suicide is a weird one I remember at the time when I'd say like my dad's just died and you get this like outpouring of sympathy but then when you say suicide people I, I could see it like the the recoil a little bit of people like yeah. no one really knows how to handle suicide that well or what to say or anything like that so yeah it's almost like a different type of death well obviously it's a different type of death but it it's so different it feels like to the other ones because there's so many other emotions going with it it's just such an unnatural thing to do yeah so like trying to comprehend it and make sense of it I've spent so much time trying to do that um and it's it's such a futile mission because there is no sense to it like it's a side effect of mental illness like there's no there's no way to understand it or yeah it's almost like it's unnatural because our bodies are like so programmed to survive and I know like when I've gone through mental health struggles and like anytime I've tried to kill myself which I'm a very long time ago now um but like your body fights like your body does not want to die um it's so against like everything in biology or anything like that so yeah it's like it's so hard to comprehend and for our brains to make sense of it so yeah I I definitely like for that for a long time with my dad that was like the, the focal point in my mind of like the suicide why did he do it like anger over certain things I was never angry that he killed himself because I felt like you know he lost out the most in that like he lost his life mm, that's the yeah. biggest currency we have so you know I lost a dad my mum lost a husband but he lost his whole life so I never felt angry that he did it but I felt angry over other things like unresolved things and it it took like I would say almost seven years before I let myself even think of the grief of just he's not here anymore like allowing myself to just miss this person that's not here anymore because the suicide was just all consumable yeah when I've interviewed other guests who've lost people they love to suicide and they've talked a lot about trauma and like obviously every death can be traumatic but suicide is I guess inherently traumatic and there was an um, amazing episode with uh, Puna Bell, who's a brilliant writer whose husband took his own life. And she said, you know, when you're asking people to talk about that moment, you're taking them back to the most traumatic point of their life. And we often describe describe grief as a kind of bomb blast. You know, when the person dies, there's this like, whoa, all this stuff changes and happening. But with suicide, I think it's even more than that. And as you said, I can imagine with grief, it's like before you can even get to, oh, I miss them. Oh, I'm grieving. You're dealing with they chose to make that decision. And as you said, it's, you know, it's obviously hugely wrapped up in, in mental illness and and it's not about blame or being like, this is a wrong thing to do, but it, it just comes with consequences, <laughs> that that choice. And I, I really empathise with that because it wasn't until I did this show that I understood because my whole life I've had, oh, my dad died when I was 15. It was cancer. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, that happens. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, poor you, you're so young cancer sad it's like a very easy narrative for everyone to yeah. like they've got the script they've got it they're on board it's fine and with suicide you know like we're only just getting the hang of talking about death like it that is still quite new in this world particularly in england i think irish people are much better talking about it than we are but with suicide it, it's it, it you know people just like they don't have the script they're like i don't i don't what how can i where do i go what do i say and so they do like you said the recoiling must be really lonely and isolating because grief is anyway but then to have that feeling of like oh now no one even knows what to say it's like an added layer of crap you have to deal with yeah and I found like 
the couple things that people maybe they did I, I didn't really get this to to me personally because people would just get uncomfortable but like things that you see in the media of suicide um I always see like um oh there was no signs they were so happy I had no idea yeah. and I could never relate to that because I don't know to me and maybe that's just my experience but like happy people or like happy people don't kill themselves it's unhappy people it's like mentally ill people and most people who are that way they don't hide it very well like with my dad there was so many warning signs he would struggled like for a lot of my life with this and so when I would see stuff like that it almost made me feel guilty because I was like okay that must be the case for everyone else but for me there were warning signs and I guess I ignore them I guess I'm a bad person like that that I kind of went into like that way of thinking and for for like a while I was angry at him over things that had happened before he died that we never got to resolve like things that had happened in his mental illness he had tried to take his life when I was 14 there was so much um anger and trauma over that that we never resolved and you just you do always think there'll be more time like it's such a cliche but you just do think there'll be time to resolve things like you yeah and not not like in you know sometimes people say those dramatic things of like never end in a fight always tell someone you love them because they could die that day like I don't I don't mean that I think that's over the top way of thinking but you just always think there will be more time and sometimes there isn't and I felt this like anger towards him that we didn't get this big Hollywood ending you know where he apologized I forgave him everything was great and then I felt so like impotent in a way of being angry at a dead person especially someone who chose to die that I then just internalized all that anger and like I carried around so much self-hate for years a part of it was just you know this is it's almost natural and like you do just go have to go to therapy and resolve all that um but a part of it was like that alienating feeling of like we like we love saying like we have to talk about mental health but we rarely have the conversations when when it's going on like we'll have platitudes but but to be able to like kind of say out loud you know this person was clearly very ill he also caused a lot of pain he caused me a lot of pain um but obviously he was in a lot of pain like all these like kind of varying emotions I never felt like I was able to express for a long time because people it it was almost too much for people and I kind of get that too um but yeah it does feel alienating to have all these feelings and to wonder if it's even normal to have them or if like there's something wrong with you like why can't I just grieve this person like a normal person and it's hard because I you know I (laughs) obviously very different situations but I was like furious with my dad for dying and oh really oh furious and uh, you know he had can't he had no choice in it but I was just so angry with him I was so angry and I felt so mad with that feeling because I was like he didn't choose it like he didn't he didn't want to but i was so fucking angry that that death existed that it could that it that it it, that that's how people can die and i you talk about that in the book the hollywood ending and and we've said that so much on the show and and i repeatedly say it because i think so many people believe in the hollywood ending you'll get to say goodbye and someone on a deathbed and it's like you know a terminal illness they often can't talk yeah (laughs) they might not want to talk like my dad refused to talk about it that he was dying and so oh wow it's like i think and i and i really related to what you say of like being that 
not not the right griever and i think that's the problem we have such a narrative of what grief looks like and what it should behave like that when someone isn't doing that you you feel like well i'm obviously completely wrong because you're like well you're, i'm not supposed to be angry i'm supposed to be weeping politely yeah, yeah. <laughs> and poor them isn't it awful and instead you're like fuck them and um it's really hard and how old were you when when he died that's what 23 23 yeah it's so young it's so young and as you said you'd had all this stuff in your teenage years that hadn't been acknowledged that and to deal with that you know his first attempt when you were 14 I know you were talking about that in detail in the book that you were there and that you were involved in it and it's such a lot to deal with like of of course you don't have the words at 14 at 23 to be like what just happened has affected me in a way I don't really have the vocabulary for yet (laughs) yeah like people would always say to me of you know that must have been the hardest thing you ever went through like your dad's suicide and for me it wasn't it was the attempt at 14 because yeah when you're that age you really can't comprehend anything you you have no like self-awareness or like knowledge of the world or kind of empathy for other people or um anything so it I like really internalized like I felt like it was my fault uh, I go through it in the book but you know he said it was my fault he like in in that moment and like I carried that around for years of you know I'm a bad person and then I would just do things to confirm that you know I would yeah. do behaviors to confirm that because that's what I believed but I couldn't even have like pulled that out at the time I couldn't have pulled yeah. out like I think this way I was just like this is who I am and it it was a weird one and like so I remember when my dad died the next day my brother was 19 and he said um I'm glad dad waited until we're adults so you know it's fine now and I was like you're 19 years old like that's a crazy way of thinking but his, his thinking was you know my dad was unwell for a long time and it did seem to get progressively worse and it was yeah. at a time where we didn't really know mental health so we couldn't pinpoint it as that he couldn't pinpoint it as that it was just like oh dad's more crazy than normal oh he's really crazy now me and my brother almost felt like it was this eventuality we didn't say it out loud um but yeah. it, we carried that with us for a long time while he was alive of this like constant fear and then when it happened, it was almost like a breathing out of, yeah. okay, now, now it's happened. The worst thing that w- w- we thought has happened, it can't get any worse than this. So yeah, there was like almost this weird relief, which sounds quite cold and it wasn't like a happy relief at all, but it just felt this thing that I'd been carrying for so many years, I could finally put down. Yeah, I, I, t- I, I, yeah, I understand, I think nobody would begrudge you those feelings it's and that's again it's that thing of like the picture of grief versus what the truth of it is and i (laughs) i understand that 19 year old logic of like oh he waited like you said he was so ill throughout your you know your entire life and especially in your teenagers as you write in the book like it's really hard it's really hard that's the thing it's 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 one thing and many things at exactly the same time so of course you're sad someone's gone of course you're devastated but also you can feel relief that that person is not suffering anymore and it's funny isn't it because we don't have a problem saying that with terminal illness like no one has a problem being like oh they were so ill they were in so much pain the cancer was spread to their entire body it was a relief but when we're talking about mental health and suicide it's like no one wants to say oh it was i'm i'm 
glad they're not in that place anymore. That seems, like you said, cold. Yeah. But we don't have a problem with the physical side of going, well, they li- they physically couldn't eat or breathe or swallow. Of course they needed to die. And I didn't want to see them in pain anymore. Oh, uh, yeah. It, it just feels mental illness. It's like, as much as like we all agree, like this is a real thing, you do just feel, because it's, it's not tangible. You can't see it. It's in someone's head. And so it, it, it's very hard to like pinpoint that yeah like if someone had cancer you wouldn't you know say like whatever of you know you, you'll get over it if it's a terminal cancer yeah yeah yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. But with you most... just need a rest you just need yeah. to lie down <laughs> i think a couple of weeks of work and this cancer will just go away yeah it's a weird one and also like you know as as unwell as he was especially towards the end there was also so much good too you know i spent mm-hmm. a long time fo- just focusing on the bad because that shit you know just leave scars that you know you're forever trying to heal but there's so much good too and it's a thing that I've really struggled with with my dad's suicide is wondering whether he really meant it or not um because I I I like to hold on to this belief that you know he was sick for a really really long time he didn't have the tools to get out of it and you know he, he really wanted to do it like that that's what I, I I hold on to because when I think of the alternative that yeah. one breaks my heart to think of you know and I know because I've been in that position where like I've tried to take my own life I never wanted to be dead I'm so glad I'm not dead it was it was a a way out in that moment when like things got too hard it was the only exit I could see it's the one I took but I did not really want to die and you know you, you read of that a lot like there was that that documentary you know and um people who had jumped off the Golden State Bridge yeah, yeah. the ones who survived everyone said on the way down they realised their problems weren't, weren't that bad and they wanted to live that makes me just so terrified for everyone who didn't live it's like yeah. d- did they want to all the way down or did they change their mind and if I think of like my dad just in that moment wanting to do something stupid and then the next day he would have taken it back. Like I, I don't even know how to comprehend that. And I, I think I just have to like choose not to believe that because that that's like a devastating thing to think yeah. of someone killing themselves in a moment, complete like you're, that's it, it's done, your life is over. But if you had like maybe waited on it for 24 hours, you wouldn't have done it. And I guess we'll just never know. We'll never know for anyone who's killed themselves if it's something they like really hand on heart, you know, wanted to do for you know with every fiber in them or if it was just this impulse of in the moment you know I can't see any other way out than this and that's I guess that's what we're talking about when it comes to suicide isn't it is that extra layer which like if, if you've lost someone to illness or a heart attack you know you don't have that feeling of like but did they well I suppose you know you do think they didn't want to but there was a sort of you know they didn't have a choice and that is so painful Maurice that must be so difficult and I think the way you're expressing it is so eloquent and thoughtful because, yeah, what it's just that it's just part of the grief. It's part of the process. And as you said, you've obviously made the decision to choose going, well, I don't believe he felt like that. But it's it's an added layer of pain, <laughs> I think, when you yeah. have lost someone to suicide. And I guess I just feel like it's important to acknowledge because we have all these different rooms in the club as we say you know the grief room and like losing someone to terminal illness it has its own little things to deal with but losing someone to suicide there is this this yeah that trauma that you're constantly having to reprocess
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to Griefcast with Carrie Lloyd. I don't even... This question is like... Because <laughs> your book is it's so brilliant. Thank you. All I could think was, um, oh, she's really, she's had, she's had quite a life. <laughs> she, this girl, she's had quite the life, um, like the sort of uh, boring little woman that I am. But um, would you mind, like, what? Because I want to say, like, how did you deal with it? But having read how you dealt with it, it's kind of extraordinary the journey you went on after oh, yeah. it happened. I mean, you had, you were already having an extraordinary experiences before he died, but. Yeah, would you mind? Because a lot of what your experience of grief seems to me of like is not being in the country where it happened. You kind of chose to leave. And I don't want to say run away because it's not running away, but it, that was the choice you meant is to leave, basically. Yeah. And, and I, I, it's, you know, I think I would have always left Ireland because um, mm. I never really wanted to live in Dublin. It, it's weird that, you know, like your life happens in certain ways. And then, you know, so things that happen after a fact, you try and like, oh yeah so this was because I did this yeah but yeah it, it might have happened anyway you know I yeah, don't know yeah. um but yeah I I moved to Amsterdam and then I moved to LA and yeah I was wild like I was, it was <laughs> like, like it's fair to say Maurice you were wild you yeah were definitely definitely <laughs> like absolutely I was like I couldn't I was like I was enjoying it so much but I was like because I guess for me what's so interesting is my reaction to death was to really close the borders down like I didn't want to go anywhere because it was so I became so afraid of the world and I were like 15 weren't you I was 15 yeah so you can see why but I I find it really fascinating obviously when people have opposite reactions and they go and they live these wild lives I'm like oh like (laughs) Maurice come home what are you doing I'm like the annoying little sister it's like take a phone with you please Maurice yeah yeah, well, I think grief made me like kind of horny. <laughs> like, and I really want to talk about that. I really, really, and I'm so glad you brought that up because I was like, I wonder how she feels about talking about that. I really want to talk about that because I thought you were so honest in your book and I loved it because it's not discussed. I've definitely heard people talk about it in terms of loss of a partner, 
But in terms of loss of a parent, everyone's like weirded out by talking about it. But I <laughs> loved how honest you were about grief made you horny. And please tell us more. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess I should say I, I was pretty horny before grief. Sure, sure, anyway, sure, sure. Like as a horny kid, it's in the book. Um, but yeah, I don't know, like, again, like, I don't know if it, it was like a direct cause of yeah, your feeling yeah. this grief and like part of that, like, I'm alive, I must live. But yeah, I had a lot of sex um, in, I would say, like, the two-year period after my dad died. So I moved to Amsterdam. I did a master's there and I was like, you know, doing yoga all the time. I was like, didn't drink, would, you know, I was really healthy um, and I was like the most depressed I'd ever been and hated it. (laughs) I love that in the book. And again, it reminded me of like what you do when you've lost control. You then try and place control. And obviously yoga and juices are great, but yoga and juices aren't great if they're being used to control feelings. And I think a lot of women do that of like, I'm doing this. And you're like, are you doing it because you know, you just want to stretch your body or are you doing it because you hate yourself? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> it's hard sometimes to tell. And I think, I think we can all relate to having been there and having friends who've done that. Like, I'm just going to only eat green things because I think it's really good. You're like, I think you're not very happy. Yeah, go to I'm not allowed to say that. Yeah. I have to say, that's great, you're being so healthy. Um, so yeah, you're living in Amsterdam, you were being very healthy, but you were miserable. Yeah. And then I, I moved to LA um, and I started dating old men um doesn't take like a psychiatrist to figure that one out like I've never gone near an old man before in my life and suddenly I was like oh I love grey hair don't know what it is um, so I was over there and I was like I was on so I was on some websites that like you know like sugar baby and I do that in like inverted commas because like it is basically just prostitution under a different name so I did that and then like I'd put tinder to like 50 would be my minimum age (laughs) 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 your book is very funny like and you do talk about these experiences in like a very brutal honest funny way and having sex with these old men and it's but it's also so painful at the same time like every bit of me as a young person who's experienced grief wanted to come and like wrap you in a duvet and remove you from these men and just be like no like get off her like she needs a hug not your grey dick right now so no offence for my language um yeah but yeah it was it was interesting to me especially I guess in terms of like girls who've lost dads and I thought you were just being so honest about it and yeah like as you said it doesn't take a psychiatrist to work out what's going but I think it's the thing that um people struggle to get their heads around because it's like oh daddy issues and then it's almost a punchline yeah where it's like but actually what is happening here (laughs) well also like all our like no one talks about mummy issues let's people have mummy issues like our parents fuck us up like that's it you know you're gonna have one of the two yeah uh so yeah it's like very sexist to just be like daddy issues um but yeah i mean i did i was like (laughs) i'm pretty much a cliche uh (laughs) in what i was doing um but it was weird when like you know like I go into them all in the book and like some of them weren't great experiences but a lot of them were really fun and like I enjoyed myself it was you know I mean there was some I mean I had sex with like a 70 year old man like (laughs) how old were you at this point then you're like 25 24 24 24, yeah 24 25 and he like he was like oh my young 70 kept saying that and (laughs) he was but like still 60 that's still old dude yeah yeah so um yeah I just I just kind of went a bit crazy and I think it was like 
I, I had mental health problems myself. Um, I say it in the past, like like there's no past really with that stuff, but I love doing that. I love being like, mm, that's all done. Um, <laughs> and then I'll come back, you know, tomorrow. But I was like really depressed during this period. And I just, I had this like, it was a terrible belief, like a very un- stupid, unhealthy belief where I thought, you know, because my dad killed himself, it's almost my legacy that I'll do it too. And I became like convinced that was definitely gonna happen. So I just thought, oh, whatever I do right now, it doesn't matter because I'm gonna be dead in six months. So I just did whatever I wanted and just didn't think of the consequences at all. And it's like, it's a weird one in like, now I can see, you know, I don't don't have respect for men that only date women half their age. Um, But I can also like have an appreciation for those men because I kind of feel like like doing that, I was going to do something and doing that was like almost the best of a, of a lot of bad things. Yeah. Um, and you know, that aliveness I felt, like that thrill I felt when I was with them, like it kind of kept me alive in some weird way um, yeah. where I just, I kept pushing it off to the next day where I was like, oh, I can kill myself tomorrow, but today I'm going out for Wagyu beef. Um, <laughs> I, I think you did a really good job, actually, because I start when I started, I was like, I hate these men, I hate them. And then you did a really good job of capturing the complexity of like, it's never black and white. It's never binary. It's never like, yeah. oh, poor Maurice and this evil 70-year-old, yeah. like, she's the princess who needs rescue. <laughs> like, that narrative doesn't work either. And I thought you captured, like, how much, how two damaged people can come together. And, and the reason they do is they offer each other something. They offer yeah. each other something that they need. That's it. That's the only reason it happens. It doesn't happen. People don't go to things that um, cause them not pain. You know what I mean? They they go yeah. to things that they need and you needed that and they needed that. And it isn't as simple as like, oh, they wanted a, a hot girl. Like some of them, there definitely was that. But others, you could see this like deep, complex, co- confused situation. Two people who are dealing with so much stuff and it's all coming together in this sex and this relationship and this control and this power. And um, I thought you captured that really well. Of It's so easy from the outside to be like, oh, well, that's gross. Yeah. Oh, that's it's Paul Maurice. And then I was like, actually, this is way more complicated than that. In the way that, the same with grief, you know, we want to go, oh, well, you'll be sad and then you'll be okay because it, it happened. It's like, it doesn't work. Yeah, <laughs> and mental yeah. health, like, oh, she got over it. Now she's great. It's like, no, it's a constant battle and grief is always with you. And we're just always working out this shit constantly. But we would like to believe that's not the case we really would like to believe because wouldn't it be great wouldn't it be great <laughs> i know and it'd be if great it if just... it was like good and bad and yeah, you know like this yeah. is good this like i don't believe there's any bad people i think it's well you know there are obviously exceptions but in general it's like most people have good intentions they might like do shit to hurt you or they might yeah. do like objectively really bad things but like very few people will sit at home at night being like i'm a bad person and i'm happy with that like yeah. where most people are you know attempting to to be good in whatever way like they might do it in a really fucked up way where it's like you know you believe this but you're actually causing loads of pain to people but yeah like I never saw any of the men as like bad men I I just thought they were like most of them were entitled like they felt entitled like a younger good looking woman and 
you know they knew they couldn't get that without money but they'd all do the mental gymnastics they do in their heads of like yeah. they'd be like it's not about the money is it it's about the connection as they give me like a check for three grand and I'm like <laughs> yeah it's not about the money that's I would be here anyway even if you yeah, lived in yeah. a shack yeah so it's just <laughs> nonsense but like sometimes I'd believe it too like there's one guy that um in in the book there was the chapter on him Mark who like yeah. I was absolutely obsessed with even now I still think about him um but oh, Maurice, like, I, that chapter I as like someone you feel like I was like I wanted to be your friend I wanted to be like delete stop <laughs> like red flag red flag and I like, could see you because like you could see your friend walking towards someone you're like no <laughs> yeah like I thought you described him incredibly and I thought again like the complexity of what happens in a relationship when it's about power and control and how it isn't a man doesn't walk in and be like, I will control you. And a woman goes, okay. It's not yeah. how it happens. The devastating line that really stuck with me is when you said, I lit a cigarette and he said, oh, I mean, you can smoke if you want, but it's not very interesting. And I was like, oh, like that is how someone just fucks you up because you're like, oh, I'm not interesting. Like, yeah. it's not, don't do it. I've told you not to do it. Like, it's like a parent saying, I'm not cross. I'm just disappointed. It's like yeah. this manipulation that people can do. And some people are really good at manipulating other people. Yeah. Um, people... That was a good one, I suppose. Like, it, you know, to not get you smoking like that. Yeah, Obviously yeah, yeah. his intentions was like just control. But like, you know, that was a positive one. I probably should have put out the cigarette. <laughs> and not You're smoked. still sticking up for him, Marie. You're still sticking up for him. Even now. Yeah. He's um, my soulmate. No, um. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a weird one too like you know when there's like this imbalance of power um and we see it very much of like the guy is controlling and yeah. the woman is this victim and in that situation i saw what was happening and like i liked that i was at yeah. a time where it's like i wanted to be controlled i wanted someone to tell me like what to wear um you know like who to have sex with like um you know what i liked i wanted that because like i yeah. could not figure that out for myself i was like so all over the place that like I welcomed this this like control over me um so I was very aware of it happening it, yeah. it wasn't that you know and I, I found, just found it interesting because so much of it I, obviously I'm like a surgeon who always thinks you should have an operation like I always think it's about grief <laughs> That's what do. but I was thinking I was like oh it's so interesting to you know see someone as you say be very wild make these slightly crazy decisions but to be like this is this is grief being played out in a way that nobody expects so then you get so far removed from the grief and again forgive me if this is you think that's bullshit fine um but it to me looked like you get so far away from the grief no one brings up the grief because it's all about this like it's yeah. the drinking it's the this it's this and no one goes hang on go bump 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 five steps back it's the grief and like i think that's a lot of what grieving people do when they are afraid of opening up the box and looking at it because it's like how can I make everyone like I'll light a fire over here in the room <laughs> and then yeah, no looks yeah. over here at like all the mess it's like look at the fire oh my god that's a fire <laughs> uh, yeah I just you know I think because we don't expect grief to look a certain way we're like oh it's it you know she's crazy or she's doing this and that's wild and it's like actually is it is it or is it just her dad died like yeah. this is what this is about yeah, do you I feel like going... it was that connected to the grief or do you feel like it wasn't so yeah I suppose so it's like it's hard to like pull things out like True, I yeah. mean there, there's something like you know I, I loved good, like men that were good dads like I that was like a turn on for me like <laughs> loved it I was like yeah tell me about going to your daughter's choir practice like absolutely loved it and that like that doesn't take that much digging to um, figure that one out um, and yeah there was like 
there's a couple there's one like longer relationship I had that didn't involve money which like that was the craziest thing I did going out with an old broke dude was like <laughs> that was number one of the craziness he was right it really was about the connection on that day <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that one was about but um like he did act like like my dad and I yeah. hated it but obviously I secretly loved it and you know even like when we'd be out people would mistaken me for his daughter and we both love that which like ew for him but for me it was grief <laughs> yeah but like I can you know that's the thing of when you obviously have such a complex relationship with someone and they die before you get any chance to resolve any of those things like grief is often described as like you know you have a hole inside you and like when you've got that physical like piece of you missing but it was a complex relationship there's like well that's a really complicated jigsaw piece that I need back (laughs) it's not like oh I need someone who believes in me or says I love you it's like no I need a lot of other stuff that's gone because like the complicated relationship has gone and I think that's it's hard for other people to get their heads around and also people have sometimes people have really simple relationships with their parents like they love them they love them back and that's fine and (laughs) that's great That's, that's great and then when they that person dies they're not seeking what they're seeking is a very different thing. And I think that's what I liked about your book is to be honest about, well, you do seek things that have been taken from you. And that's and that can look like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we should talk about, just to be clear, like you then did go to therapy. <laughs> People thinking, she's there now. There's no man in the background. She's yeah. having a well of time. <laughs> so you had quite, because um, it's not just grief. Obviously, there's a lot of mental health stuff as well. But you did eventually find therapy is kind of what took you out of that journey I suppose and placed you on a different one is that fair to say yeah yeah who knew (laughs) therapy works (laughs) I know right who knew but I find it interesting it took you a long time to get that same I took ages to go to therapy absolutely years yeah well I'd I'd been in it like when I was a teenager and like early 20s and I just never really clicked and I do think you have to get like the right therapist it's like dating it's like you got to try people out like some you'll click with some you won't and also you have to be at a like I had never so when I came back from LA I think it was 26 27 but before then I had never wanted to help myself so I'd been like forced into therapy as a kid I had to do it in Amsterdam to like get my medication you had to do therapy but like I never had this desire in me of like I want to fix this a lot of the time I didn't even think there was anything that need needed fixing and in many ways like my dad is like that too like he he never really like saw the problem and so he never like took the steps to help himself and like you just it's it's such a cliche and it's so basic but it's like no one no one else can save you it's you like you save yourself or that's it and when I was 27 I so I was just back from LA and I at the my at the end of my trip like my mental health got really bad and um like I took an overdose I ended up in a psych ward over there and I hate the terms like rock bottom because um I just think they're bullshit I think like I've had about 50 rock bottoms and <laughs> sometimes they don't do shit like yeah, they don't. yeah but there was something about that that it was like okay I like I'm either gonna die or I need to change like I felt that like inside my gut like I have got to fix myself so I went into therapy like with that attitude and I just had a therapist that just like I vibed with like we just got on and um yeah it was like probably like 18 months and like god it was exhausting it is such hard work I'd be after each therapy I'd need like a nap but yeah it's like you do just have to do the work like there's no you know 
oh, I mean, I wish there was. Like, take this pill and you'll be yeah, fine. Yeah. Like, you know, but I did just have to, like, go back on everything. Um, and I, that was, like, the first time that, like, I allowed myself to go back on good memories with my dad because before then I, I just focused on the bad and there was a part of me that was like like what you said of just the like oh fuck you I'm not gonna miss you you're dead you chose yeah, that yeah. um and and in therapy you know I I just let myself remember and there was so much good with my dad like he was no one will ever love me like he did and like he did it in a way that I constantly felt like felt it sometimes it was like too much but like he you know if I took a swimming lesson he was like you're gonna be Michael Phelps like he had this crazy belief in me anything I did and um that's so nice to have like I, I sometimes have friends that will talk about like my dad never said I love you yeah. it's men that will say that usually but I'm like I didn't have that I had the most supportive dad who like constantly told me how great I was and yeah I just like let myself remember all those good things and I like I guess for the first time then just let myself miss him like yeah. the full complex um person that was my dad not just the man who caused pain it was you know the person that loved me like no other um yeah and that was easy to protect yourself isn't it if you can go he was just a bad person and he died so therefore I'm better off and you're yeah. protecting yourself and then when you have to remember the good stuff it's like oh well maybe uh, I don't want him to be dead and yeah, that's, like, well, that's painful like I yeah. don't want that feeling there's an easier narrative to read here which isn't the truth but yeah it's it's such self-preservation all the time which you know like you said bodies want to live people want to you want to be okay like your brain will do such gymnastics to be yeah. like this is fine. Yeah, I'm alright because he wasn't great anyway. And I think it's so yeah, it's so interesting to me because sorry, I always relate it to my own experience, but it's like I didn't go to therapy for years and years and years because I just felt very like don't open a box. Like just don't open it. You can't handle it. The grief is too big, it's too massive. And again, I had lots of missed <laughs> like what's the word like missed chances with therapists who were just shit and then I finally found someone I was like oh I, I don't feel like you're trying to win a battle I don't feel like you're trying to like patronize me I just feel like you just want to listen great and as soon as that happened <coughs> I was like, like oh my god <laughs> the box is ready and it's such, like so many things have to line up but you have to also be like I am so fed up of feeling this way like it doesn't go away and I think that's quite a hard thing with grief because you do think well maybe if I just ignore it like yeah it'll just be able to go <laughs> well because you also have like the knowledge that you're like okay well if I tap into this this person is dead that's yes, never going to change yes. oh, so you, you know that and it's like so why why would I like yeah. go what so I can just cry and miss them but yeah and I think it takes until like you realize that it's like killing you yeah the way you're living <laughs> it's like it has to like really take something because otherwise it's like no I'll just not think about it for the rest of my life and I'll be fine so it takes like something in you breaking a bit to be like oh shit I can't I can't do this yeah I thought it was really interesting what you were just saying as well with parents like my dad said every day I love you you're a mate you can do anything you do anything but his actions didn't always match that so I had like a really weird thing when he died of like I missed having someone who believed in me all the time but I also had all these memories of someone who didn't always do make choices that felt like the things he said and so I was just relating to what you were saying of like he believed in you but then he would do this stuff and you're like it's again that's the complexity of someone isn't it it's the complexity of someone I think that's 
such a part of the grieving process of what they said, especially with parents, what they said versus what they did. And knowing that I for years was like, so it's not true. It's not true because he did all this stuff that didn't it. And then eventually being like, no, he did. He did mean what he said. He just didn't always, wasn't always able to do, make good choices as people are. Like yeah, it's not, yeah. you know, they're not perfect. And it's kind of, it's hard to resolve that. But the, yeah. I, I found the grief got easier when I did. Yeah, I think people who have like just two like parents that love them loads and like, you know, are amazing. It's like they're freaks. Like that's insanity. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not many people do, do they? No, like, no. Yeah. Yeah, when someone's just like, mm, I have a great relationship with both my parents. I'm just like, oh, red flag. That's <laughs> <laughs> I definitely feel it e- easier to relate to people that have had more complicated relationships. That's, I think, you look for that connection, a connection again. And if I meet someone who has a complicated, and it wasn't too many ages that so my two best friends from university, their dads are alive, but they live in different countries. And so then we eventually, we were like, oh, we all have dad issues of this kind of, they left. Uh, but, yeah. But what does that mean? And, and, and I was like, oh, I am definitely drawn to people that equally understand the complexity of what it feels like to have that figure in your life make those choices. Um, and then when I do meet people who it's like, everything's fine, I'm like, oh, this is tricky for me. I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know how to relate to you, which, yeah, good for them. That's great. That's really brilliant. I'm glad some people are, are having those experiences. <laughs> but yeah, it sounds like that was a part of your process of trying to accept the two halves of like who he was and what he said. Yeah, yeah. And also, like, he did, you know, like, when he was good, like, when he was, like, not sick, um, which even now, like, it feels weird even just saying that when it's, like, a mental yeah. illness to say sick. I always almost feel like I need to put an asterisk. Uh, but it's stupid. Like, it is a sickness. But, like, he, he would be, like, he would follow through on his stuff. He would, you know, it, he was, like, an amazing dad. It was just, you know, then when it was bad, it was, like, really bad. And, yeah, I, I, it's something, like, you can never comprehend when you're a kid because, like, you just can't understand the, like, complexity of a human being. Um, so when he was bad, I'd be like, this is because he hates me or something. Like, you know, yeah. it was something very black and white. But, like, now, uh, as a 31-year-old, especially someone who's gone through a lot of what he's gone through, I feel like I have such a a gentler um, attitude towards my dad and um, so much more empathy for everything he went through. And it's just a shame that he's not here to feel that, you know, that he can't feel me being this way. That's just life, I suppose, you know. And then I think what I've gotten to this empathy and understanding if he hadn't have died or like would this have happened naturally with age or did it take this thing to make me this way uh it's very hard to know you know yeah you can't separate the two strands and like you know you can imagine or you're like oh if they were still here but they're not so yeah (laughs) you just reach this dead end of thought of like because yeah and again that's you know this is why i think grief is just like an underplayed emotion because it's so much more than just missing someone you know it's it's you miss them but then also you know sometimes I think oh you know it's a shame you know I've got two kids and I'm like it's a shame he's not here to see them but then I'm like actually if he'd lived would we still have had such a difficult relationship because he didn't look like he was going to do any changing anytime soon (laughs) but maybe he would have and maybe I would have but like you, it's that weird thing with death isn't it that you sort of play the film in your head of like what what my life might have looked like had this person and you can just watch it and then you have to go well it's not where I am right now in this body and he's not here and he doesn't know my kids and so 
and then now I'm able through enough therapy to just feel that say pain and sadness and just let it be which has taken so long to just go well that's really sad yeah and not and not not just to be like well so now I need to obviously do something like <laughs> yeah like, just let's with it. bleach the bathroom guys because I felt <laughs> sad like it's it, yeah to just sit with it and be like yeah and I thought you said in the book you said you know some of the therapy you had like you just didn't even say anything with your therapist it would be silence but you still felt like stuff was happening and I was like yeah that is it it's just it's so hard to define what processing grief even though that's again not a very helpful term just being with grief or allowing it to be in your world so you're nine nine years now yeah since you died how do you feel today like how are you feeling and how are you feeling having written the book about all this very intense relationship with him do you feel like that has healed as well or kind of putting it Um, somewhere I didn't find writing the book healing because I was already healed to write the book right yeah yeah um I don't think I'd have been able to write about it if I was still processing things uh that's true and it's I don't know it's weird when it's like now that it's out like I just feel such a detachment to it um where it's like, oh, it doesn't belong to me anymore. It's, you know, yeah. so yeah, I, I don't know. I Like, I know, you know, a lot of my, like, my mum is such a private person, so she absolutely hates the book. Um, <laughs> she's like, why were you talking about masturbating so much? <laughs> Which, you know, you just don't want your mum to be saying to you. But it's a weird one, because I know the one person who would have fucking loved it is my dad, because yeah. he's like, just loved attention and like drama and stuff. Um, so and you know that's easy to say when someone's dead like you can say that but you can yeah you yeah. can just lie and be like he would have loved this um and justify anything you do but I know he genuinely would have um loved the attention so you know that that makes me feel quite at ease with it because it is very like honest like there's you know some people have been like why were you so honest and it's like I didn't know I was being that honest until you said this to me <laughs> yeah uh, yeah Louise, thank you so much. It was so thank good you for to talk having to you. me. And remember Tommy, and um, the book is, I know we've, we've talked about it quite a lot, but it's, it's very good. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. You can find more about Maurice on her website, Marie Scorhan, that is M-A-R-I-S-E-G-A-U-G-H-A-N.com. That's got all the information of her book and her dates where she's gigging. Uh, Her book, Trouble, is available to buy now. It is really, really brilliant. I thoroughly recommend it. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Griefcast. The show was edited by Kate Holland. It was recorded remotely. Uh, It uh, music was provided by The Glue Ensemble. Artwork by Jade Perkins. Stop motion animation by Alice Loveday. And I think that's everybody. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Remember, you are not alone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.